Give ear, my people. Listen to my teaching. Incline your ear. Let my words be reaching. Your heart and mind and with their truth impress you. The parable in which I speak shall bless you. Thy mouth will voice dark sayings from of old, things we have heard which us our fathers told. That comes out of the Psalter, out of Psalm 78, the first 11 verses. Just uh, reading that as uh, Zach had that fact there. And it's uh, appropriate for our opening of our, our message here. Of course, anytime we want to give ear to the Word of God, right? Take heed, listen. Listen to Jesus' teaching, right? That's really what that's referring to. Incline our ears. And then not only that, but then to uh, desire it more and more in our own lives. The uh, passage that we're dealing with today, um, of course it deals with uh, two characters and really a third one, and the third one is the most important, and that's, of course, Jesus. (laughs) He is the main point all the time, isn't He? Um, As we think on this, and as we think about giving attention to God's Word, it's part of the same thought, same kind of process that we should be thinking of as love the Lord our God with all our heart, mind, soul, and strength. Of course, what is that? Well, it's not only hearing God's Word, but doing it, right? And so that is really key. And it's it's loving God, which is we sing the song, Trust and obey, right? So much of a, the key ingredients of uh, what the Christian life is about. And we think of this lady here who was considered to be quite the uh, sinner, the reputation that she had in town, and yet her heart became so transformed, it actually is difficult to comprehend how one lady can be changed so drastically. And of course, when we look at these characters and we put them side by side, one being the Pharisee and one being the the woman sinner, um, we see how Christ, how God looks in the heart. So that main focus there is dealing with that and invites us to ask ourselves, what do we think of Christ? How do we love Him? Do we really love Him? What's our attitude to Christ? Where do we fit in this story here as as we look at it? So we're going to observe this woman who adored Jesus. And that's proper for a Christian. We should adore. To adore and worship, to love Christ. That's what it is all about. She had been forgiven so much. There's no way that she could ever repay Him back for what... He did to her in forgiving her sins forever. And she was absolutely committed to this One who forgave her sin to love and worship Him with everything that she had. And so we would ask ourselves as we look at this passage today, what about us? What about me? Uh, can I can I just 
take it or leave it as far as the church is concerned? Can I just take it or leave it as far as my reading Scripture? Just take it or leave it? Is that the way it is? Do we really wholeheartedly go after Him? We can believe the right things like the Pharisee did, but is Jesus Christ precious to us? And are we always wanting to hear His Word, to be close to Him? Um, we can become cold as uh, the Ephesus church did, like in Revelation 2. And they were obedient. They did all the great works, but there was something that they did that was drastically bad. What did they do? They lost their first love. And we want that same kind of love that we had for Christ at the very moment we came to Christ because we knew that our sins were taken from us and our burden was gone. And that's why we love Christ. How precious is He to us? So that's the kind of questions we want to ask ourselves, each individually as we go through this. Uh, The story has helped me to uh, deepen my own love for my Savior. To really take Him seriously. Not just to go through the motions of everyday life, but to take our Savior seriously to love Him and to pursue Him. So we are going to be in Luke 7. going to end the chapter today, 36-50. through This is called Loving and Worshiping Christ. We're going to meet three main characters. and We might call them the Pharisee, the prostitute, and the prophet. That's what we'll see in our first point, and then we'll go on with that. But uh, let's uh, stand and uh, turn to the Holy Word of God, which is so precious to us. This is one way we show our love to Christ, is when we read it, and it makes sense to us, and we want to follow it, right? Now, verse 36, one of the Pharisees was requesting him to dine with him, and he entered the Pharisee's house, and reclined at the table. And there was a woman in the city who was a sinner, and when she learned that he was reclining at the table in the Pharisee's house, she brought an alabaster vial of perfume. Standing behind him at his feet, weeping, she began to wet his feet with her tears, and kept wiping them with her hair of her head, kissing kissing his feet and anointing them with the perfume. Now when the Pharisee who had invited him saw this, he said to himself, If this man were a prophet, he would know who and what sort of person this woman is who is touching him, that she's a sinner. Jesus answered him, Simon, I have something to say to you. And he replied, Say it, teacher. A moneylender had two debtors. One owed 500 denarii and the other 50. When they were unable to repay, he graciously forgave them both. So which of them will love him more? Simon answered and said, I suppose the one whom he forgave more. He said to him, You have judged correctly. Turning toward the woman, he said uh, said to Simon, Do you see this woman? I entered your house. You gave me no water from my feet, but she has wet my feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair. You gave me no kiss, but she, since the time I came in, has not ceased to 
kiss my feet. You did not anoint my head with oil, but she anointed my feet with perfume. For this reason I say to you, her sins, which are many, have been forgiven. For she loved much, but he who is forgiven little loves little. Then he said to her, Your sins have been forgiven. Those who were reclining at the table with him began to say to themselves, Who is this man who even forgives sin? He said to the woman, Your faith has saved you. Go in peace. Father, what a message there is in this. And as we look at self-righteousness versus seeing ourselves of where we came from and how we've been delivered by You solely, it ever should remind us and help us keep our thoughts on what You have done. And even more should our love for You grow. In Jesus' name, Amen. Go to the first part. It's uh, verse 36 through 39. deals with the Pharisee, the prostitute, and the prophet. We go to the Pharisee first, and it says, Now one of the Pharisees was requesting him to dine with him. So, and this is Jesus. He's going to go to this Pharisee's house. He entered the Pharisee's house and reclined at the table. The story is not a variation of some other incident where you see a Simon. Uh, I think there's a Simon the leper where Mary of Bethany comes and anoints Jesus. That sounds like the same thing. But that's different. And it's later. And you can say, well, there's Simon. Simon was a common name. Uh, actually, because, of course, you have Simon here, but you got one of the apostles with the name of Simon, Simon Peter. Uh, Simon the Tanner. You will see quite a few Simons. So it's kind of like what John is, something along that lines. Uh, so anyway, this is a different uh, situation than at, at other time. Uh, this Pharisee, he's a Hebrew of Hebrews. I mean, this man is very religious. Uh, he prayed twice a day. He fasted. Did all the Jewish uh, traditions that uh, the rabbis would do. He would read the words of the prophets. Kept himself pure from all the defilements of uh, the Gentiles and guard himself from the contact with pagans. And so, uh, this is the Pharisee. Uh, he has a dinner invitation for Jesus of all people. This is the one that the Pharisees disdain. Why is he inviting Jesus into his house? We see a few verses earlier. He definitely goes to other people's houses too. In verse 34, Pharisees are saying here, the Son of Man has come eating and drinking. And you say, Behold, a gluttonous man and a drunkard, a friend of tax collectors and sinners. That's the way they saw him. He would go to their houses, the tax collectors, they were considered the worst of the worst, the drunks, the, the, the sinners, whatever all that entails. He would go there and eat with them. And so they, therefore they would call him a glutton, a drunkard. And so he did go to those invitations. Well, Simon had heard that Jesus was in town. And uh, so, you know, he's very popular. Everybody knows about him at this time, especially the Pharisees. Religious people are annoyed at him, at least. He's very popular. People are following after him. 
and the fame just spread throughout all the land. We've already seen that from north to south. This is a perfect opportunity to invite this famous man over to his house. Jesus uh, does not decline it. comes there knowing full well what this man really is about. Um, this man absolutely considers himself righteous. Uh, and so he's thinking, okay, this Jesus is you know, looking somewhat righteous, seems to be very intelligent in the Scriptures. Maybe we can have a theological, theological discussion. Uh, maybe I can catch him in something. Something that he says. So that's usually what the Pharisees are doing, aren't they? Try to catch Jesus and it would give one more piece of evidence to bring against him with witnesses around so it's a great opportunity for him to do that. It doesn't necessarily say that here, but I think it's safe to say that could be what is happening because the Pharisees as a whole do not appreciate Jesus at all. So Jesus has been uh, teaching and preaching. You say, where is this at? It doesn't tell us. It is in Galilee. It's up north. Uh, some town, a village, something of that nature. There's a synagogue. Uh, there where a Pharisee would be, you could say, or some a leader, a, a, a rabbi. Uh, those would be there. Uh, it's possible that they just got finished with synagogue meeting and the Pharisee uh, asked him if he would like to come over to his house. It could have been that, we don't know. Uh, but definitely I think he would like to get uh, more of a verdict on Jesus. Uh, he considers this Jesus to be a blasphemer. If he knows anything about what the Pharisees know, he has already claimed to forgive people's sins. And who alone can do that? God. So therefore, he's a blasphemer. And that, that would be safe to say is what this man thinks of him. Um, the message of Jesus certainly irritates the Pharisees. They certainly hate John the Baptist because he would show them what their sins were and tell them um, if Jesus incriminates himself here we, we have him cornered I'm sure he kind of faked a uh, little bit of friendship with Jesus acted like he was very interested in him Jesus knows full well this is a hypocritical enemy he knows what the deal is um, the man himself outwardly what does he look like being a Pharisee, he looks very righteous. He's good. He's upright. He's a religious man. He keeps the law of Moses outwardly. He tithes his income. He fasted regularly. He prayed at least three times every day. He never missed attending at the synagogue. He was a decent man. Living in a house that is pretty large to be able to bring people and a guest in. He is well respected as a religious leader in the community. And if anybody was righteous, it would be this man. That is his standing. But by really looking at him, we see actually that he has a very judgmental spirit. Um, the reason is, is that he sees this woman in his house. If we drop down into verse 39, now what the Pharisee who had invited him, Jesus, saw this, he said to himself, what he saw was the woman kissing his feet, perfume and such. If this man were a prophet, 
he would know who and what sort of person this woman is who is touching him. See, that's a ceremonial uh, dirtiness. You have to be ceremonial clean to be able to go back to synagogue. Jesus was a real prophet. He would know. So he's making a judgment on Jesus, but he's certainly making a judgment on the woman, isn't he? You know, and he's saying that, oh, what a sinner. You know, we don't let sinners be close to us. Well, Jesus does quite the opposite. All the way through his ministry, who did he go to? I did not come to call the righteous, but the sinners. So he sought those lost people. This Pharisee doesn't have that kind of attitude at all, does he? So we see he's very judgmental in that. He's saying Jesus is overrated as a prophet. What kind of prophet is he? He ought to know this. He ought to be aware of that. So there is a little picture of our Pharisee. Let's go to the one who is known as the prostitute. She had a reputation. Pharisee had his reputation. She has her reputation. It's not good. Everybody in town would know who she is. Uh, not sure if she's really a prostitute here. It, it literally doesn't say that. It just says she's a sinner. And that's good enough. We could leave it right there. But I will tell you that it's a term that has disdain in it. This word sinner with the context. It's definitely what would be considered a very low life. When it came to the feminine side, and it's talking about a woman, whenever they would call her a sinner... It was usually a synonym for what? Prostitute. She's a woman who was an, uh, a professional adulteress. She was immoral. She was filthy. She was impure. She was perverse. She lived a very flagrant, sinful life. And you say, why would Jesus ever bother with somebody like her? Well, you know, as we go further in this story, we see that we are her. And he first go, what are you saying? But as we look through the parable and we really see what it is, we can see what a change came to her too. Aren't you glad God didn't give up on you when you were a sinner? <laughs> right? Isn't it amazing what Christ does? Well, anyway... She learned that Jesus was there. It says in 37, there was a woman in the city who was a sinner. And when she learned that he was reclining at the table in the Pharisee's house, she learned about that. What does this mean? What is she doing there anyway? Wouldn't you think that the Pharisee would have had her kicked out of the house? Do you think he invited her in there? No. No. No way. Ceremonially unclean. What is going on here is the doors would be thrown open to people in the town and they wouldn't all be invited. There are certain guests that are at the table that are invited that, uh, would, uh, that come to this house. But there are going to be other people standing around the walls around, and they're going to be listening to this Jesus where crowds are always coming. They'll only get so many in a house though, right? And they're going to listen to the Pharisee. They're going to listen in to the theological discussions that are going on. You know, 
like a fly on the wall. <laughs> They're checking this out. This is going to be really interesting. I'm going in there. So the doors would be just kind of open for those people to come in, come around. I always wonder, what in the world is she doing in there? Um, you know, anytime there there is some kind of entertainment going on, or some kind of a intriguing conversation, it would be interesting to go in there and listen, wouldn't it? So there are people there. Um, this lady heard that Jesus was in there. She knows that she hasn't been invited, and she knows that really she's not welcome. But she really doesn't care because Jesus is in there. And the way that this whole story goes, I really believe that she had already heard Jesus, had already seen Him, probably already had her sin forgiven. Now I know Jesus pronounced this here, your sins have been forgiven. And that's a past tense. It could be just this the first time. I won't press it, but it would be interesting. And it sounds like it's something that she knew about Jesus. She knew what He could do. Why else would she go in that house? This is this is one who forgives sin. So she knows that He doesn't condemn. That's all she hears in her life by the righteous self-righteous elite. Did their teaching offer any hope for her? No, matter of fact, did you know that she's really not allowed into the synagogue? Remember, she's ceremonial unclean. That would make everybody unclean. She's not allowed. She's been kicked out of the synagogue long ago. So knowing their teaching, it only adds to her condemnation. Jesus says, I have not come to call the righteous self-righteous, but the sinners, the ones who really want me, they want their sins forgiven. Sinners to repentance. That is the idea. In Luke 5.32, Jesus has said something like that before, hasn't He? 31, it says, Jesus, there were tax collectors and sinners in verse 30, and he's eating with them. Jesus answered and said to them, It is not those who are well, think they're well, who need a physician. Who goes to the physician? People who know they're sick. But those who are sick, I've not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. Actually, everybody needs them because they're all sinners and that's where we're going to be getting to when we get to that parable. But that's really where we're at. This man offers hope. I've not had this kind of hope before for a sinner like me. That's the idea where she's at. So she repented of her sins put her trust in Christ, she sought after Him because she knew that she's lost without Him. Now this probably happened before she ever went in to Simon's house. Maybe not, but I tend to think this is probably the way that it could be. I don't want to really read between the lines. I just suggest that 
you know, just throw it out if you don't like it, or, what, or even if you do like it. But that kind of gives the idea of kind of where we're at. And it makes this woman human. You see, the woman is, is not in a parable. This is a real woman. In heaven, we'll meet her one of these days. Have you thought about that? I hadn't thought about it until I just said it. <laughs> that would be interesting to meet her, wouldn't it? We could, you know, man, we can learn a lot from this lady, I really do believe. So it says um, in 37, there was a woman in the city who was a sinner, and when she learned that he was reclining at the table in the Pharisee's house, that's whenever she got her alabaster vial of perfume. Standing behind him at his feet, weeping, she began to wet his feet with her tears, kept wiping them with her hair of the head and kissing his feet and anointing them with the perfume. Amazing. Okay, they're reclining. What's going on there? Well, there's a table. It could be round. It could be square. It could be oblong. Uh, Probably there are couches around this table. And these couches really don't have an end to them or a back. Just you know, they just lay straight out, and maybe maybe upwards, and and where it's there's a, a you know a, a, an upward climb to it, and of course they would kind of put their elbow there, take it easy, have their feet uh, at the away from the table, and have their head right there at the table, and of course that allows them to relax, discuss. They're going to be there uh, for a while, you know, whenever they would have one of these meals and. Just uh, enjoy the company of people. That was an uh, ordinary custom, especially if you had a big enough house, and this man it does. They didn't really sit in chairs like that. They just reclined and, and ate and um, had conversation. Well, she's definitely not at the table. These are the people that have been invited. There are other people that did uh, come on in, and, and they're there. She, she planned this to slip into that house because Jesus is there. That's when you know you take Jesus seriously. And she knows exactly you know, how Jesus is in, in, in this sense that the, what she's going to do, He is going to accept that. Not only accept it, but to use it right here in its Scripture for all of the church to study for the thousands of years that we have to see what Jesus did to her. Jesus puts this in a, in a real good way that we can really see this humanly. This is an alabaster container. It's, it's a vial. It's alabaster. It's very expensive. It's costly. Um, the perfume she has in it is very expensive, very costly, probably a year's wages. Would you ever take thousands of dollars for perfume? It wasn't any cheap perfume. It wasn't any regular old olive oil. And, uh, of course, she, she couldn't contain her tears because she knew what had happened to her. Her sin was forgiven. She goes right up to Jesus. And she begins weeping. She was going to do the anointing, but the weeping starts. And her tears, it's like it's splashing on the feet of Jesus. I mean, that's a lot of tears. This is serious. Do you love God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength? Boy, at that moment, she sure did, didn't she? 
course, you know, the, the emotions are there. She had, she's just overcome with that. Does Jesus ever do that to you? That you're just overcome with emotions? He may not go up to somebody and start kissing their feet. But at the same time, you, uh, you definitely get emotional. And then she loosens her hair. She uses it like a towel to, to wipe the moisture from his feet. She spreads that perfume on his feet. She clung to his feet. They became wet with the tears, the perfume. She ignored the whole custom of women not letting their hair down in public. And in the Middle East today, that is still the rule. And that's okay. Um, But when a woman would let her hair down in public, what did that show? That you were a harlot, a prostitute. So they did not wear their hair down in public for all to see. So, that would have been considered a sinful purpose that she did. But knowing this story here, she's doing this in humility and using it as a towel because of the tears and the anointing that has been put on his feet. And it's said by Alfred Plummer in his commentary on Luke, he said, kissing her feet, kissing the feet of people was a common mark of deep reverence, especially to leading rabbis. Now, does that help? Here's the custom. There would actually be some people that would have such reverence for a rabbi that they would do this. Now, Jesus is called rabbi, teacher. He's respected. He's respected by her, but it's in where there's a crowd and there's this Pharisee who owns the house. It's like, doesn't she have any respect for the owner of this house? She's only thinking about Jesus. And overcome and overwhelmed by her emotions. Bottle of costly perfume, pours it on his feet. She doesn't care what anybody thinks. She's with her Savior. She wants to show her love for Jesus. Now, in contrast, there's a detachment of the Pharisee from Jesus, really. This woman has a fervent, very evident love for Jesus. The Pharisee does not. And we'll see why in a few moments as we go through the parable. So we've seen who? The Pharisee. We've seen the prostitute. And now we see the prophet. We look in verse 39. Now when the Pharisee who had invited him, Jesus, who is like a prophet, supposed to be, it's been said, he said to himself, if this man were a prophet, he would know who and what sort of person this woman is who is touching him, that she's a sinner. He would know that. So therefore, he's not a prophet. He's not even a prophet. Who is this man, Jesus? That's the question that we should be reflecting on. This man, who is he? 
right? The question really came to Simon's mind and it wasn't a real biblical conclusion. I think it makes him squirm to think that this woman is in here and we have a man posing as a prophet and he doesn't even know what sort of person she is. He would have kicked her right out of there if he was the righteous kind of hypocrite that this Pharisee is. He knew the man. Jesus knew this man had evil intentions from the very get-go. From the very moment he was invited to that. He knew this man. He knows him. He said, how's that? Verse 40 says, And Jesus answered him, Simon, I have something to say to you. (laughs) How would you like to have somebody call you by name and say, I have something to say to you? Oh. Well, we'll say it. So that's where he breaks out in that. He he definitely doubted that Jesus is a prophet, right? Jesus read the Pharisees' thoughts. You see, the Pharisee didn't say it. Now, when the Pharisee who invited him saw this, he said to himself, "Has that happened before?" Yeah. Jesus knows what's in the heart, and that's what matters. Pharisee has no idea what's in the heart of this woman but that he could read Simon's secret thoughts and that he knows that he's doubting that Jesus is is a prophet. Okay, we've met the main characters here, haven't we? These three characters. Let's come back to the central question. How do I develop fervent love for Jesus? Do I really have it? Trust Him, I believe Him. Do I really obey Him? Well, sometimes. Sometimes I'm not so good. This sinful woman takes Him so seriously that Jesus actually is going to take this parable and make it fit these two characters. But it's just a parable. It's about somebody else. It's not a real story. It's a parable. It's about the two debtors. And he addresses this to Simon. By the way, Jesus taught in parables so much. Of course, you think of the um, the uh, prodigal son. And of course, everybody thinks, well, the main character there is the prodigal son. Or, who else? His brother, who is the self-righteous one. The other one would be the one who sinned much, the prodigal son. But when you really look at that story, who's the star of the story? The father. Exactly. Because he comes running to his son and he graces him. Merciful. Such a father who loved him so much after all that he did. I mean... He definitely didn't deserve the grace of, from the Father, did he? Well, outwardly, who is the one who really looks like a sinner here? Honestly. It's, it's the woman. Both parties are in debt. That's what Jesus is going to stress here. The, the greater debtor refers to the sinful woman, and the lesser debtor would be the Pharisee. But in God's sight, really, the woman was not necessarily the greater sinner, was she? We see things differently. But 
at the same time, it's not to say that, oh, listen, we're all sinners, so hey, I can go outwardly and do whatever I want because it, you know, if I already thought of my head, I might as well go ahead and do it, right? No. Because in 1 Corinthians 6, you can say, well, listen, I'll be a hypocrite if... I, if uh, yeah. No. Verse 18 says, Flee immorality. Every other sin that a man commits is outside the body. But the immoral man sins against his own body. There's using the body. Using it in an immoral way. And he says, you flee from that. Run from it. Just like Joseph. Run from it when those opportunities come. And he says, or do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you? Ooh, <laughs> that gets things into perspective, doesn't it? He lives in you, whom you have from God, and that you are not your own. He bought you. You don't own your own body. For you have been bought with the price, therefore glorify God in your body. That's the outward part. The inward part shows where we're at inwardly and spiritually, but the outward part shows it. Whatever goes in the mouth comes out. It shows, and so really, it's it's not that the woman, you know, hadn't sinned grievously. She definitely did, and she showed it, and everybody knew it. The Pharisee would be a guy like, boy, it seems like he just never he doesn't sin. This guy is so righteous, but what does God do? He looks on the heart. Not just on the outward sins, the Pharisee is guilty of pride, of self-righteousness, which are very serious sins, even though it's not seen. God judges according to the light that has been given. This man was given much. He was given the Word of God. He... So the Pharisee is really going to be taken where he's going to have his neck taken to the noose by Jesus. He's going to really hang Simon here. Simon would have been thinking, Jesus is is right. Uh, This woman is at least ten times worse than I am because he starts off here in Luke 7 in this parable. A moneylender had two debtors. One owed 500 denarii and the other 50. Who has the, according to the 500 denarii, who would you say that that would be? The woman that she's in debt of. The other would be 50. So, he's not so bad. He, okay, if, he's, if Jesus is saying this, look at, the, look at the difference between me and her. 550, right? Um, if you can't repay, you cannot repay. It says a money winner had two debtors, one owed 500 denarii, the other 50, by the way, day's wage. You're talking, these amounts are tremendous. There's no way that I can ever pay this back, and I know it. Not with the income that I have. It'll take a a lottery or something. I'm not giving credence to lottery, but 
people will say that, you know, that'll cure everything. But uh, what what's happening here is it's like it looks it makes it look like one is in bigger trouble than the other. And he says in verse forty two, when they were they were unable to repay. That means both. Now, a guy drowning in 50 feet of water or a guy drowning in 500 feet of water, if they're both drowning, does it really make a difference if there's nobody else around, right, to save you? It would be ridiculous for the guy that's 50 feet deep say, well, look at that guy in the 500 feet out there. Not him. You drown, you drown. You're dead, you're dead. Well, at least I'm better off than that poor wretch. Right? No. Self-righteous thinker, uh, that's what he would be there. Uh, I'm better off than this degraded sinner. 500 feet of water. Or 500 denarii. Owes a lot. Never be able to pay that. Both are guilty as lawbreakers. That's really what Jesus is putting forth. This guy? This religious guy? Yeah. Neither one has the ability to repay. Nothing you can do. There is nothing, absolutely nothing, to be able to repay this debt. You could take all the good deeds in the world, added to your sin, and it's like putting frosting on a moldy cake. An old cake been sitting around a couple years or so outside and you put frosting on it makes it look a lot better and put frosting all around it and over it you know what it's still a rotten cake can't do anything to fix it <laughs> here's what Spurgeon said too many think lightly of sin. You know, sin is sin, isn't it? Spurgeon said, Too many think lightly of sin and therefore think lightly of the Savior. Ooh. He who has stood before his God convicted and condemned with the rope about his neck. I love Spurgeon in the way that he just draws up the picture where you can't help but see what he's saying a rope around your neck, is the man to weep for joy when he is pardoned, to hate the evil which has been forgiven him, and to live to the honor of the Redeemer by whose blood he has been cleansed. He later remarked that he thought that he loved Christ better and could preach Him better to others because he was led to see the depths of his own sinfulness before he came to salvation. He saw the depths. He had been around religion all of his life. His dad was a preacher. He had been to church every Sunday. But it wasn't until he was like, uh, was it 15, 16, where he trusted in Christ. He saw the depth of his sinfulness. So, To love Jesus, you have to realize your debt. To love Jesus, you must realize your inability to pay that debt. 
love Jesus, you must totally trust in His grace. Because you can't pay the debt. When they were unable to repay, in verse 42 it says that He graciously forgave them both. When they were unable to repay, He graciously forgave them both. So which of them will love Him more? Simon answered and said, Oh, well, are you setting me up? (laughs) Uh, I suppose the one whom He forgave more. Who knows how He said it? I don't know the the tenure and the way that He put it, but uh, He knows what He's talking about in the sentence, I suppose. He said to him, You judged correctly. He got it right. Yeah. Turning toward the woman, He said to Simon, Do you see the woman? He's telling Simon, hey, hey, you see the woman, don't you? And then he's going to really compare. I'm going to get to a comparison here pretty quickly. Um, he did it by grace. This one who knew that they couldn't pay him. It was completely undeserved that this one who lent, this money lender who lent them the money, He forgave the entire debt for both. Now he did not say, I will forgive 90% of your debt. All you have to do now is pay 10%. And they're going, all right, I do 10%. His forgiveness was absolutely, totally unconditional. There is nothing that we can do to pay it back, is there? No strings attached. This is what Jesus is saying salvation is. It's totally by grace. There is no work that we can do. Incredible. It comes to a question of gratitude. This comes to the point of the parable now. It deals with the gratitude of the forgiven. The man who is convinced of the greatness of his own debt is going to be more grateful over his forgiveness than the one who feels his debt is not that bad. That's the parable. The story, the true story is that Simon the Pharisee was not aware of the great debt that he owed. He's not aware of that. He's a Pharisee. Is he doctrinally correct? Yeah. Does he know his stuff? Yeah. His lifestyle reflected a devotion to the Lord. He prayed two, three times a day. He's a Pharisee. Fast twice a week, right? All of this. Everybody knows that. He deserves it. That's what he thinks. This other one, she knows that she's undeserving. You could call her bankrupt. That's the idea. She has come mourning over her sin. Are you sensitive to sin as a Christian? Does it make you want to repent? The Ephesians lost their first love. And then he says, here's how you get that back. Remember and repent. Repent of your sins. And that's how you get back to loving the Lord. It's sin that comes in the way. And to see it for what it really is, confessing that to Him. She hungers. She thirsts for righteousness. That's why she came into the house. 
the principle here. He who is forgiven the most will love the most. It's crucial here to not misinterpret this text. Uh, Some would base verse 47, For this reason I say to you, her sins which are many have been forgiven, for she loved much, but he is forgiven little, loves little. What some would say was that this woman's love for Christ merited her forgiveness. They would interpret that passage that because she showed that she had love, therefore she is forgiven. They've got it turned around. And they're in the same boat as the Pharisee, if that be the case. Because the whole point of the story is that she doesn't deserve it. She cannot pay. There isn't anything that she does. But if you are a believer, and if He has forgiven you of your sins then you will have the love. You will show what has been done to you. The more you see your debt, the more you see your own inability to repay it, the more you will see how much the Savior did for you as He took your penalty on Himself at the cross. And that's where it's at. A one-time happening. He did it at the cross. When you see the depths of His great love for you. What does it make you want to do? Well, if you're His, it makes you want to trust, obey, love Him. Right? To love Him more and more. Our love for Him should grow even more. Our Savior. So that's the principle. He who is forgiven the most will love the most. And then we go into this contrast now as we get ready to close it out. This is the religious and on the other side, the immoral. Jesus brings Simon to the point of the parable. Two people, of course. Jesus is comparing Simon versus the sinful woman. We know he's attaining his own righteousness. And he really has very little need to get forgiveness because he's okay. I'm fine. I'm good. And look what Jesus does here as he compares them. I think it had to make the Pharisee very angry when Jesus says this. He turns toward the woman. He says to Simon, uh, Do you, you see this woman? Yeah, 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 she needs to be out of here. I entered your house. You gave me no water for my feet. You. She has wet my feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair. You gave me no kiss. But she, since the time I came in, has not ceased to kiss my feet. You did not anoint my head with oil, but she anointed my feet with perfume. For this reason, I say to you, her sins, which are many, have been forgiven, for she loved much. But he who is forgiven little, loves little. Simon had not even treated Jesus with common courtesy. 
What do you do when you have a guest come into your house? And by the way, he is the reason what this whole party's about. Didn't even wash his feet. You can say, well, yeah, that's not my job to do. Well, it's his servant's job to do. Well, most people don't have a servant. I got a feeling the Pharisee probably did. Either way, it doesn't matter. He could have at least done what? Gave him water. See, they, they walked the dust. They walked in sandals. What was the dirtiest part of their body when they would come into somebody's house? That's why people would have courtesy to get their feet washed. Did the Pharisee do it? No. That's common. That's just a commonplace thing. Everybody knows that. So Jesus says, you didn't even wash my feet. Wow. When a guest came into your home, it was a sign of respect to greet them with a kiss. A kiss on the neck, kiss on the cheek, whatever. You know, you know the Middle East, they still do that today. And so it is not any kind of uh, sexual thing. It's, it's just a matter of respect. So he says, you didn't... You didn't even give me the, the greeting of a kiss. But she has been kissing my feet constantly. A welcome guest would be anointed with olive oil. It's pretty cheap. It was common. That's one of the staples of a household. Olive oil. It's one of the chief commodities in all of that land. So it was an inexpensive way of showing hospitality. We're not talking about an expensive perfume here. Simon, strike one, strike two, strike three. The high fastball got him. That's it. He struck out. He didn't do any of those. On the other hand, this woman had used her tears, that's her water. Luther, Martin Luther called it the water of her heart. Instead of a kiss upon the cheek, woman kissed his feet. Instead of the cheap olive oil, she brought her expensive perfume for his feet. The Greek word there is myrrh. Remember frankincense, gold and myrrh, the three, or we think of the three kings, but who knows how many wise men, right, had actually come there and they brought bearing gifts. Myrrh was an expensive perfume that they had brought as a gift for him. So now we get ready to close it out in 48 through 50. Sins have been forgiven. It says in 48-49, those who were reclining at the table with Him began to say to themselves, who is this man who even forgives sins? And He said to the woman, your faith has saved you. Go in peace. i got a feeling these people are trying to figure out your sins are forgiven. Who is this guy? Who can forgive sins? She knows. I wonder if there's anybody else in the room who has any idea. You know, he's already done that once. We we read it in Luke 5, where said, your, your sins are forgiven. And that made them all mad. 
because it meant that he's God. He blasphemed. Well, he says it here right for everybody to hear. Um, there's not going to be any tax collectors here. There's not going to be people of ill repute. The um, theologically sophisticated are probably in the room for the most part. And they know that only God forgives sin. And so they got to be wondering at the words of Jesus here. If you want your sins to be forgiven, you have to go to Jesus. This is the first mention that Jesus has made of faith in this passage. It says, and He said to the woman, your faith has saved you. Go in peace. We're justified by faith. By faith alone. No works. But just trusting Him. Trusting. Obeying. That's the idea of faith. I believe He is who He says He is. I will give my life Whatever it takes, I will follow Him. Forget yourself. Take up the cross. Follow Me that Jesus said. And that's what she was doing. Did He say your love has saved you? It was faith. We're saved by grace through faith. That not of yourselves. It is the gift of God. Faith is a gift of God. He gives to us so we can believe in Him. Otherwise, we'll be just like the Pharisee. We don't need Jesus. We don't need forgiveness of sins. I don't even believe in sin. Right? Well, faith is because she trusted Him. She had been granted grace. What happened? What What kind of change happened? And by the way, faith and love are correlated though, aren't they? You know, you you really can't have love without faith. But you can't really have faith without love. You can't trust in the Lord without loving Him, right? And you can't love the Lord without also (laughs) believing in Him. It's the love that He puts forth in our hearts. And as soon as we that happens, we want to give something to Him. Give worship. That's what we're doing today. We don't come here to receive, although we do, we receive His Word from Him. But really what it is about, we come here to give. To give ourselves. Lend your ear, as it said. Remember the, the psalm? Give ear, my people. Listen to my teaching. It's Jesus' teaching. It's what He spoke about. I didn't make any of this up. We're just reading it, trying to get a little more understanding on it, and then saying, I want Him more. That's what we want this to do. His Word should be reaching us, shouldn't it? The woman left that house with her perfume vial empty. Poured it out. She broke her flask. Poured it on him. Remember how it was when you were converted? You were excited about him. It was a glorious experience there. Turn to Ephesians 2. And I've been referring to that a couple of times. We kind of started off with that thought too. And in Revelation 2 is about the seven churches. The first church that addressed is Ephesus. They had some of the elite teachers you could have. They had John the Apostle. 
as a pastor there. Paul, Apollos, um, I think, was it Polycarp? Uh, some of the early church fathers. John wrote this in 90-something A.D. He's talking about Christ. And he, he says, okay, here is, I commend you, Ephesus church. I, verse 2, I know your deeds and your toil, your perseverance, and that you cannot tolerate evil men. You put to the test those who call themselves apostles, and they are not, and you found them to be false. And you have perseverance and have endured for my name's sake and have not grown weary. You go, Wow! This was a mighty example of a good church. And they had been. Because in verse 4, but I have this against you, that you have left your first love. Therefore, remember from where you have fallen and repent and do the deeds you did at first. Or else I'm coming to you and will remove your lampstand out of its place unless you repent. And it comes back commending them again. This is the Ephesus church who was so doctrinally sound and they did so many good deeds. Somehow they left that first love. Is that possible for a Christian to do? It's whenever we start living for our own selves. We don't live for other people. We don't live for Christ. We live for our own selves to get our own needs met. And then we start doing things that are not the standards for Christians to do. And we start getting away and we start doing some of the wackiest thinking that we could ever have doing things that we would not have done and we knew was wrong. And we left our first love. Start getting away from the truth. Don't read the Word of God. We don't hear the Word of God. It doesn't make any sense anymore anyway. And we become further and further away. If you are of Christ, He will take that hook on you and bring you back. But you don't want that to happen because that's a discipline. And it's not comfortable. And it can hurt. But if we leave our first love, what does He say? Remember. Remember what He did to you. How He converted your soul. And then what does He say? Repent. And do those deeds. And so that's loving the Lord That's how we develop this fervent love. That's how we restore our love to repent of our lack of love. Uh, Even today, we can get down to the very nitty-gritty. It doesn't have to be some big secret sin. It it can be for the fact that has He been... Have you loved Him with all your heart, mind, soul, strength today? Is He what this is all about? This is what my life is about. This is what the church is about. This is what it is. That's loving the Lord. Knowing it's all about Him. 
Failure to love becomes a cold, mechanical service. We still go about the outward acts like the Pharisee, but it's cold, it's sterile, and it's not a hot love for Christ. This woman sought out Christ. She adored Him with every ounce of strength that she had been given. And so that's what we want to remind ourselves. We don't want to lose our love for Christ. Is this real? Is this true? Well, it's a special lady who did it. Well, actually, she was very ordinary. She was a sinner. That's what it takes. She recognized her sin. She knew it. She could never pay it back. She was forgiven. All by the grace of God. Simple story. We've heard the story thousands of times probably. Read it so many times. But yet, doesn't it ring the bell a little closer that even in our own lives, we want to love Christ even more? Don't we want to make even a better commitment than what we have in the past? That's what we invite ourselves to. Let's pray. Father, great holy God, You are righteous. You are the righteous one. And we know that You call us to put on Your robes of righteousness which covers our sin, which was done at the cross. Help us to seek You even more and more each day for we know that you are what life, you are what life is about may we show our love to you by our love to others and that's how you are glorified make us a strong church a church that would love you that would seek you with everything that would be really committed lord as we walk out of here keep us Keep us safe. Keep us having our mind on You. Thank You for the opportunity to worship with Your people this morning. And we say Amen in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Now, on your bulletin, I'll try to explain this the best that I can, but there's a great opportunity to do some ministry. And it's, it's, uh, there's only a two-day window for this. Uh, and it's not that you be there two days. Uh, it, it's calling for one time to sign up. I guess you could, you could sign up for other times. But what it is, is actually, have you ever ministered and done things and not ever seen anything that, that comes out of it? You know that God's going to bless it, but you don't, sometimes you wonder, yeah, I, I give money to a ministry. I don't even know what happens. Sometimes I have to wonder if it even gets there. There is a ministry called Hunger to Hope, or actually I believe it's called uh, Feed My Starving Children. They um, are, uh, there's a different kind of thing going around to different churches all over, I guess, the United States. And what they do is they have these packages of food that they have and they get it to, it can be anywhere, Africa, Central America, or wherever there's need. And you hear about starving kids and you wonder, well, you know, how much can I get? This is talking about just doing something. You can definitely donate if you like. But if you'd like to give two hours of your time and know that this is going to make a difference in not only one person's life, but a lot of people's lives. Because this is going to go in multiple ways. They need 500 volunteers. 
And this is for churches uh, in all in Jeff City. They only have really a few. They have a lot of spots left open. And this is going to be done at E-Free Church. I was introduced to this and, and the people at the Bible study on a Tuesday night a couple of weeks ago by Barb, Barb Sassy. And of course, uh, we know our um, beloved friends back here when you, when you see Janice and Beth and of course Eldon and of course very much a part there of that church. And uh, I think it's a great thing because it's a win-win situation and you know it's going to help. Sometimes you don't know. This is, what you'd be doing is just packing food. You're not going to meet anybody that's going to receive it, but you know they're going to get it to them. And so you'll, get, you'll be guaranteed of a blessing. And uh, it's called Hunger to Hope Mobile Pack. It's going to be done November 9th and 10th. I think I just saw it two days on their website. Did you see that? Is that what you've been told? The 9th and 10th of November, which is... Friday and Saturday. And what you'll do is you'll get there and they will show you how it's done. And then you just pack this food. It's, it's packages of food that you're doing. There's a, over 100,000 meals. 100,000 feeding people who are wondering where their next meal is coming from. That's incredible. So anyway... There's a, there are different times that you can sign up. It's not you have to come at a, a certain time. They will give you the times. You go to their website, and it is on uh, the bottom of your bulletin. Um, give. Give.fmsc.org. Go there, just get the yeah. schedule. And what I even went to to find that was I just went to Evangelical Free Church, Jeff City, Missouri, um, Feed children, something like that. And it, it brought up a whole bunch of things, and there it was. And I finally found their sites, but you can go right to that. And then it'll show that there's e-free. Just keep scrolling down, and then it'll give you an opportunity to choose what time slot you would like to come in. You can take one, you can take two, three, whatever. But if you just want to go there one time, and just you will be packing. Who, who knows, how many different meals will you be packing in that time that you're there? Do we know? They, they will tell us how, how it's to be done. So it's up to you individually. But as a church, it would be nice if we had some. If you have the opportunity, you know that people are going to be blessed out of this. And, and uh, so will uh, the volunteers. Barb said that they would take five and up to help. Five years old and up to help. Okay. So All right. Help. Right. So... Quite a, quite a ministry opportunity. So I thought I'd share that with you. And Barb was uh, asking if I'd put it in the bulletin. And uh, so if you have other questions, um, call Barb. <laughs> yeah. That's right. <laughs> but the website is very easy. If you want to go on there, click on there and just you know show the time that you'd like to come. Um, they even had the last uh, day on or hour on Friday. They have it all day. But uh, I think it starts at six. And goes to eight or something like that on Friday and Saturday, and they had all day Saturday. So you'll see the time slots. Um, did I make it clear enough? Probably not. Yeah. Give you an idea. Um, it's a way to show your love. They have a Facebook page too. I see here. Feed my starving children on Facebook. Very good. Very good. I was going to show it up on there, and I forgot to find it. But you'll see it. You guys know how to operate around through there. And if you don't, like I say, call Barb. <laughs> Why don't we uh, close here and uh, thank you guys. Have an opportunity to worship with you. Uh,
Zach, could you close us in prayer? Lord, thank you for bringing us together and hearing your word. Please have it impressed upon our hearts the knowledge and wisdom to not merely see the opportunities and situations that God has put us in, but to acknowledge that He was the one that brought it to pass and gave us an opportunity to show the world what is right, what is truth. And please work in those around us and have us be an example what we ought to be. In your name we pray. Amen. Amen. And I forgot one announcement that's really important. Next week, it's the third week of the month of October. And so there's going to be, uh, just bring your meal with you. And I think uh, whoever would like to go out, we you have the flyers to give out. We have some, and we need, what we're going to do is make copies here. Uh, make sure that we have enough of those. Those are sitting on the table if you want to see any. And there's a newsletter back there too if you uh, if you haven't had one of those. But also then after that, going to the nursing home. And so if if one eats by 12:30, probably going to be done eating anyway. Had enough time to go out for what? Who knows? Half hour or something like that. They when do they want the church over there? Two o'clock. So I think we have plenty of time. There's different things that people can do and whatever. Um, so um, I think I, I got that right. I will tell you and I will confess, this is probably the one week that I'm not going to be here. Carolyn and I are not. We didn't exactly know when it was at the time uh, when we were out there. We found out third week. Oh, there is a a family gathering which the family of Carolyn doesn't get together much and this is kind of the Christmas thing, Thanksgiving thing, all wrapped into one, our annual meeting together and as it is right at after church. I haven't missed too many things. I will tell you I feel guilty about this. And I know you're thinking about a guitar player singing songs. I'll make it up next time. I'll be there, Lord willing. So uh, it's still bring your voices and, and I don't know if they have a piano or what whatever can be done there. But uh, at any rate, I, I apologize there. And will you guys forgive me? Hey, it's Pastor Appreciation Month. We appreciate you. <laughs> yeah, to say that, right? Thank you, man. Don't have to say anything. Thank you. Well, we'll put Zach on the spot. He has yeah. instruments. He has a lot of instruments. He has a lot of He'll figure something out. He, yeah, that's that's right. He made it. He made it do. The day I was sick, I found out that he was sick, and he filled in when I couldn't make it here. But he was going to do it anyway. But at the same time, you know. Um, he, if some some instrument is needed or whatever's needed, there's Zach. <laughs> Appreciate you, Zach. And Bob and and Debbie and, and whoever else can play. All you guys. All the singers. Here's a sign-up sheet back here again. If you want to put what you're thinking about bringing for Sunday. Thank you, Debbie. Oh, one other, one other one. I forgot. I'm just forgetting everywhere.
we have a special guest with us today. Nandor, would you like to introduce your guest? Yeah, this is, uh, this is my girlfriend, Tallulah. Hi, Tallulah. Hi, Tallulah. It was good to have Tallulah with us. She's been here before. Yeah. She's a veteran. No. I'll take my teeth. Oh. Yeah, no kidding. Okay. <laughs> okay, that's what you Yeah, good. Yeah, that sounds very interesting. See, there's this I'm going to go there. I appreciate it. Yeah, 
going to be there. Yeah. It's a Capitol Plaza November 1st. Yeah. And they October 25th is when you have to register by. But, okay, so have, that, that needs to be announced. Right. And we used to donate to that. Uh, oh, yeah. Yeah, we sure have. Yep. I usually take a check yep. for meals. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, we want to be a part of that. Pregnancy Great. Health Center. November 1st. It's a, uh, well, let's say, okay, this is 14, right? 21st, 28th. So we have next week and the week after that, but they need to, it needs to be done they need to register if they're going to it. Thursday. Not this Thursday. Next, next Thursday. Right at the end of October. And November 1st is a Thursday night. Yeah, that's what I thought. Okay. Rod Smith is emceeing. They had the silent auction and stuff there. So I've usually done, I've donated baby, crochet baby